I'm Dan Benjamin, and this is The Podcast Method. Took a little break there to build some new things uh, here, and I'm going to tell you all about what it is that I've been working on. So thanks for your patience while I did that. You know, I'm not a big fan of doing an, uh, sort of a non-episode. Like if I had uh, come out with an episode to say, hey, I'm, I'm on a little bit of a break for a few weeks while I put something new together for you. I know that would have been informative and it would have helped people understand that, no, the show's not dead. Uh, I'm actually got a whole bunch of things lined up that are really great. And I'm working on some stuff that I'm going to tell you about because that episode it sticks around forever. Uh, you know, if, if somebody picks up this show in a year from now and they play episode, you know, 7.1 to follow the comic book convention of having little bonus episodes, uh, they're going to hear that oh, I'm on hiatus, right? But this is a year from now. They don't care if I'm on hiatus because I've done 20 episodes by then or whatever. I just don't like those kind of PSA type episodes sticking around for so long. So that's why I don't do them. I did talk about it on Twitter and say, hey, I'm working on some things. I'm building some things. I'm launching some new stuff. Uh, but, and of course, not everyone follows me on Twitter. And, and that can be a problem. Audience engagement, right? When you talk about how to engage with the audience, uh, there are so many ways. If you look around right now at people's websites for podcasts and things like that, uh, there are almost always links to follow me on Twitter or follow the show on Twitter, uh, follow us on Facebook, things like that. Uh, those things are really important, but you always have to remember that for a lot of people, the only way that they follow you or hear about you or connect with you is going to be on the podcast. Even if you stream it live, there are lots of people who just don't like to tune in live, don't want to tune in live, can't tune in live. So you've got to remember that. You've got to remember that, you know, just because you announce that, hey, we're not recording this week, uh, you know, my, my recording partner has a cold. Well, that's on Twitter. And even if you've got 20,000, 30,000, 100,000 followers, not everybody who listens to your show is one of them. Uh, and that's unfortunate. So what do you do? Do you have a blog? Same thing. Not everybody reads blogs. RSS newsreaders aren't a big thing as much anymore. So just trying to put it out there in as many ways as you can. Uh, put it out on Twitter. Announce it on Facebook. Put your schedule somewhere so that people who are really that interested can follow it. Uh, I One of the very first pages that I built on the very first 5x5 site that I made in 2009 was a schedule page. And it was connected to a Google Calendar. Uh, so uh, with the Google Calendar, I could update that easily, even on my phone, if I knew something was going to be late, you know. Uh, and that way people could look at that and see the schedule. They could see that. So that's been at 5x5.tv slash schedule forever. Well, still, even though it's linked in the header bar, people don't always see it. But that's all right. Uh, the goal is just to put the information about your show out there in as many different places as you can. It'll seem repetitive to you. Oh, I posted it on Twitter. I posted it on Facebook. I did a blog entry. Well, people need that because they're going to come at it from so many different ways. But that's one of the big topics that I wanted to talk about is uh, audience engagement and building uh, building an audience, because that's one of the biggest questions that I get on a regular basis on Twitter is how do I grow the show? How do I grow the show? I'm making great content. It's out there, but people can't find it or people aren't downloading it. And uh, so I think there's kind of two issues here. One of the issues, of course, 
is, is your content really as good as you think it is? I remember when I was a kid, I used to run around the house with a tape recorder and I used to interview my friends, my parents and, and myself as, you know, Superman. And to me, these were the best tapes in the whole world, right? These were amazing interviews that like I was capturing and making and, and doing. And, you know, when I, uh, when I would let other people hear them, they'd be like, oh, that's pretty good. But they wouldn't necessarily think it was the best thing in the whole world. And listening back a few years later, I was like, oh, right, that was a little kid running around with a tape recorder. Most likely the work you're doing is a lot better than the work I was doing when I was seven. But, it, you know, let people hear it and ask for constructive criticism. This is something I'm trying to do more and more for people. If you hit me up on Twitter at Dan Benjamin and say, hey, listen to my show and tell me what you think. I, I get a lot of these requests in Twitter and email, but I will do my best to try and, and listen to those when you do it, please include the link right there direct to the episode or the audio in, in even better to the MP3 file so I can hear it on my phone uh, that you want me to listen. And I'll be happy to to try and listen and tell you what I think. I wish I had um, had the benefit of more sort of sound engineers and podcasters to listen to my early stuff because, man, when I go back and listen to it, some of that stuff is just painful. The way I edited it uh, or or even just – my cadence, the tone of voice, you learn so much by doing it. And so that's my first piece of advice. If you are out there and you're thinking, how do I get more listeners to the show? Show up and do the show. That's how you, that's the number one way to do it is continue to do great stuff. There's that old adage that says, if you create something great and you keep doing it, just make it so great that people won't be able to not notice. You know, people won't be able to ignore you because the stuff that you're doing will be so great that they, they, it will be impossible to ignore. That's one way to do it for sure. If you feel like you're already doing that and nobody's picking it up, you know what? Spend some money. You know, advertise for your own show. So few podcasts out there are actually promoting and advertising their show outside of just the sort of fingers crossed rated on iTunes kind of approach, which by the way is a very good approach. If, you know, if you came out with, uh, with a new camera, you just built your own camera and you get it manufactured, you're not just going to be able to, uh, to sit back and put up a website and hope people start to buy it, right? You've got to promote that camera. Whatever the thing is that you're making, you have to get out there and promote it. And, uh, and this is something that I'm still learning a whole lot about and I have a ton of stuff to learn about it. I'm, I'm anything but an expert in promoting the shows outside of this sort of organic Twitter iTunes, Overcast kind of promotion. Uh, but I'm experimenting with it and I'm just starting these experiments. I'm learning from a friend who I hope to get on the show who can, who can enlighten us, including me, about this. But right now, it's, I'm in the early stages of kind of experimenting with web and non-traditional advertising for some of the shows. And I'm going to try it and experiment and I will share my results with you because to be honest, I think it's going to work, but I really don't know. And I don't know how, how well it'll work. So, uh, it's all an experiment, right? The podcasting is so young. It's such a young industry, but it is an industry and don't let anybody, uh, tell you otherwise. This has been an industry. Podcasting's not back. It's never went away. Just more people are hearing about it. And yeah, I've been reading all these articles about how the technology of podcasting sucks and how it's broken and how it needs to be so much better. I agree with all of those things. But guess what else is broken? Uh, terrestrial radio is pretty broken right now. Uh, satellite radio is broken. And guess what else is really broken? 
cable TV is really broken. Well, you have companies like HBO coming out with, you know, HBO uh, Now. That should change things a little bit, but that's really, really broken. Well, guess what? Everything's kind of broken if you think about it. Uh, it, There's a, a problem with every single industry, but the fact that today most new cars that are coming out have either an auxiliary import or Bluetooth, and the fact that most of us are uh, driving around with a smartphone, hopefully not in our hand, hopefully safely secured uh, and, and and not in our hand while we're driving, right? But like we have these devices that can get the latest episode of the shows that we like. We can hit play and it'll come out of our car speakers. And if, if you're even more tuned in, there are a lot of live streaming apps that'll let you listen to your favorite show as they're being recorded if you stream them live, which is another uh, thing that that uh, that I'll be talking about later today on this show, how to do a live stream. But, you know, we can engage our audience by making it as easy as possible for them to listen. You want to listen live? Listen live. Cool. Here's how to do that. Oh, you can't listen live? No big deal. Here's the easiest way to get it to your phone. Well, there's tons of apps that handle that. And now they're going to be in their car. They're going to be in their car. And they're going to be listening to you while they drive without having to do anything elaborate. Yeah, the technology is not perfect, but it's getting better. And we're the ones that are making it better by doing our shows. If we stop doing our shows, right, then there will be no need to improve the technology. But it's such a young industry. It's such a great time to be doing this. Uh, it, it's it's just – I'm just really thrilled to be part of it and I love all the feedback that I get. And the best tweet that I could possibly get would be somebody who said, oh, I went to podcastmethod.co and I learned about – you know, these new headphones I could get, or this is the mic that I got based on your recommendation. And I love it. I mean, like, keep that coming. Uh, keep, keep telling me if, if I recommended something and like, it didn't work for you, tell me, because I want to make the guide at podcastmethod.co. Like, I want to make that thing the best it can possibly be. And I need your feedback. I can't test everything. You know, I can't put every single thing in, into practice. Um, it's, you know, it, it, only so much time in a day. But uh, I was, so I want to tell you about some of the new things that I launched, mainly not because I want to promote them, which I do, right? But because I want to tell you how, uh, what was involved and what our workflow is, what gear we're using and, uh, and all of that stuff. Because there, there are a lot of tricks uh, that I've realized I kind of just assume people know, but they, they don't know them. And, uh, and I want to tell you about those. And then uh, that'll sort of lead into that live stream conversation and, uh, and, and, and take us to eventually listener questions. So that's what's on the plan for this episode. So what have I launched? I launched a show that I've wanted to do for really my whole life, basically. Um, it's the first show that I've ever put my own name on in, I guess, about – six or seven years of podcasting full-time and about eight years of podcasting in general, uh, it's the first one that I've put my name on because this is the show that I've always wanted to do. I call it the Dan Benjamin Hour, and sometimes it's a little more than an hour, but it is it, it is the talk radio style show that I've always wanted to do. It, it gives me a really fun platform to talk, uh, to invite on guests and friends to go over the, the 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 news and topics that are interesting, I think to us as as a sort of collective uh, geek culture out there, and it's just been a 
really, really huge challenge for me to put that show together. And it's taken me more than six years to figure out what that show should be. And I've tried. And this is this is the fun thing about podcasting is you get to try things. And yeah, when they don't work, you fail in public, but that's all right. It's a learning process, you know? Uh, I've tried so many different shows and for one reason or another, they didn't, it really worked the way I wanted them to work. But I knew that I was working toward a bigger goal. I knew I was honing the craft and you hone your craft by showing up. You know, you have to, you have to show up. Uh, so what did I do? Well, I had a, an interview show that I did called the pipeline. And one of the first shows that I did, I had another sort of panel show called The Conversation. I had a show where I was experimenting with having different other hosts be on a show called The Crossover. I wanted to learn how to do uh, sort of monologuing and interacting with callers. So that's Grit. Now, by the way, Grit is coming back after a, a, a long hiatus uh, tomorrow, actually, Friday. So if you liked Grit, you will be able to hear that again starting on a regular schedule tomorrow. But that was a huge learning experience. What's it like to have a whole lot of people in a room with me and take callers and do interviews? All of these are little pieces, you know, that I learned. What's it like to be a co-host of a show where the host of that show wants to to talk and talk and talk and you've got to, you know, you've got to enjoy the listening process and listen to what I – listen to what they say and ask the right questions and keep the show flowing. All of these things over six years, doing it five days a week, multiple shows a day, this is all just a huge – was and is still a learning experience for me. So uh, getting to the point where I felt like I could do the show that I really wanted to do was this long journey. And I'm still – if you listen to the first episode of, of DBH, Dan Benjamin Now, if you listen to the first episode and you listen to the fifth episode or you listen to the 15th episode – uh, there is a huge difference. And then you're saying, wait a minute, 15 episodes, it's a daily show. That's another big challenge for me. I've always wanted to do that daily show. And there was a long time where I was doing three, sometimes more, but three shows a day on a regular basis. So doing a show every day, of course, this is my full-time thing. I have no excuse not to do a show every day. I love doing shows every day. But doing what I will say is sort of the same show every day uh, that was a big challenge, doing it at the same time every day so that listeners know when to expect it, getting a really solid workflow that allows me to do it at the same time every single day. Uh, also another really big challenge, and these are things I had to learn. How do I do that? There's nobody around to teach me how to do that because I don't work at a TV station. I suppose I should and could have, uh, but I don't work at a TV station, so I have to learn – all of these pre and post processes myself and figure out what works best. I've definitely talked to people in TV and, and learned from them and talked to people, lots of people in radio and learned how their production schedule goes. But, you know, when it's essentially just you and a, a couple helpers, it's not like you've got a whole team and you can just roll in and be like, all right, I'm ready to go. It's 5 p.m. So, you know, it's been a huge learning process for me and to get into that rhythm and start building that momentum. If you're a sports fan, especially an NFL fan or a college football fan, you hear people talking about all the time, momentum, momentum, momentum. What does that mean? Well, it, 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 you kind of start, and this happens with podcasts and radio shows and TV shows, you start working and working and working and eventually you just get a sense that you're in the groove. You know what to expect. You know what's going to happen and you start working and you just feel that flow starting to happen. And I feel like for me, that's finally starting to happen with that show. Like I feel like I, I've, I'm in a groove now. 
And it's still got a long way to go uh, as far as uh, building a listener base and and promoting it the way that I want. But it's something that for me is more than just an experiment like a lot of the other shows uh, are. I'm, I'm all in with this. And it's showed me and kind of renewed my passion for doing these kinds of shows all over again. I feel like it's, you know, 2009 again in that sense of like I feel like everything is fresh and new and it's a really awesome feeling uh, to have. So anyway, I would love for you to check the show out. It's at danbenjamin.com, but it's also on 5by5.tv slash dbh. Uh, you can go there and here's the cool part of it or the part that I think is cool and also hugely challenging is it's not just a radio show. It's a daily, you know, hour-long talk show. Uh, it's also we've got video cameras in there and we stream it live and we let you watch us make the show. And that's the fun part for me. We're not doing an ESPN show where, you know, there's big lights and it's, you know, uh, Mike and Mike or, you know, we're, we're not doing CNN. We're not doing headline news. We're not doing a, a, a full-on, you know, uh, TV interview show like a Letterman or something. Uh, it's a behind-the-scenes view of us making the show. And it, I always loved that. The, my favorite things whenever I was watching a TV or something like that was to see behind the scenes. I used to love the Howard Stern show. I liked the Rich Eisen show. I loved the Dan Patrick show behind the scenes. Uh, all of this is just, you know, and back when Mike and Mike used to just be in like a little booth and have a little camera on them. I love this because I, I, it made them real people to me, not just voices, but real people. I could see what they looked like. I could see their mannerisms. I could, uh, I felt like I was much more part of the show. And that's what I want to kind of extend as we do that show and some other shows. Uh, you know, if they bring a guest in the studio, like there's a video of that. It's really cool. And uh, we're using MetaCDN for our streaming. Uh, they are awesome. But you can also use Google Hangouts to do it. You can do a YouTube event to do it. And those options are free and fun. And it's just such a fun way to include people in your show. And you know what? You get one person watching live, listening live. That's good enough. Who cares? It's one person. You know, that's an audience of one. That's good enough for me. I'll do a show for one person <laughs> besides me. All of these things just are finally sort of gelling and coming together. And you've got Meerkat and you've got Periscope that are other ways to kind of share what you're doing with other people as you do it and generate a buzz and build that momentum. So it's, you know, it's just such a great time to be doing this stuff. Like I, I really don't know what to say. But okay, back to that challenge of building this with the video stuff. I had to set up a separate room. So right now I'm in my audio recording room. I'm talking into a Heil PR40 uh, that thing is mounted in the Electro Voice uh, 309A shock mount, which is on an OC white boom, uh, which is mounted onto the standing desk that I'm using in here. And that plugs right into a DBX-286S. That's a preamp that I use that I really like. They're in radio stations all around the world. They've got tons and tons and tons of gain to drive even the most gain-hungry dynamic mic like the PR40 or the Shure SM7 or the Telefunken M82, which, by the way, is my favorite new mic. And uh, and and uh, we've got a whole number of these for all of the different microphones that we have here in uh, the audio recording room. And all these things go into the Apollo. The uh, Universal Audio Apollo is this amazing, amazing thing that's got tons of DSPs and preamps and everything in it and it saves so much space uh i you know people would say oh you probably don't need the dbx's with the apollo and you know what they're right you don't uh the the compression and uh, noise gate and stuff in the apollo is uh is very clean very nice i still like the sound 
of my voice through DBX because that's what it sounds like to me when I when I hear my voice recorded that way, and then I uh, I, I hear myself. That's that's much closer to what I feel like I sound like, and uh, that's my setup. I like I like that sound. We've also got up in this rack uh, a handful of the the Mac Minis, which is how we uh, record remote guests. I'll tell you about that in a second. And all of this goes into uh, a Mac that's running a Logic that I use to record the shows. Uh, every single person on their own track logic pro 10 or pro x depending on how you like to say it that is the the essence of the setup well in the video room there's a whole other element to that of course video cameras we've got four video cameras we use the main video cameras are canon vixia g20s you can get g20s g30s they're all really good i think there might be a g40 out uh, but those of course are controlled in so that i can switch to the different shots uh, by Wirecast. Uh, I'm not going to get into the switching of the Wirecast and how we do all that video stuff because I'm, my focus here is more on the podcast than, uh, side of it, the audio side of it, than on the video side of it. But I, I will say that uh, that adding that whole switching element, the multiple camera shots, it adds a whole new dimension and depth to the show because not only are you sharing with the world, like here's me and here's our little set and here's the other people that are on the show – uh, but you're also thinking about which shot you should be using and how those shots are set up and color correction and all of these other things that, that video bring to the table that's just such a huge fun but huge challenge. Uh, this all is controlled by a Mac Pro, which has these Blackmagic uh, shuttle cards, these Blackmagic uh, uh, cards that convert the HDMI signal out from the camera to Thunderbolt and connect to Wirecast. All of this makes for a very complicated setup. Uh, so in addition to having all of this audio gear in there, we've got uh, we've got the video gear. Now, in the video room, I'm not using an Apollo. Those things are super expensive, and I wanted to go uh, a little bit more budget because, to be honest, I didn't know if the show was going to work or how it was going to work. So instead of going with an Apollo, which is like a $2,000 piece of equipment, I said, what can I do that's more of a, of a budget that I could recommend to people if it works out? And so the the key – to the audio in that room is the Focusrite Sapphire Pro uh, 24. This is a tiny little box that has tons of uh, inputs and outputs built into it. A really, it's it's kind of weird the first time you see the software that comes with it, and you're like, "What is this? It looks like something made in the '80s." But once you get it, it's super easy to use. And, uh, and, and that is kind of the hub. This one that I got is Firewire. They also make a USB version of it that I'll put into the show notes. And show notes are going to be at 5x5.tv slash podcast method slash 8. But uh, they have uh, a USB version of this. Both of them will be in those show notes. I went with Firewire because until the new MacBook came out, uh, I was under the impression that all Macs everywhere would have Thunderbolt. And you can get a really... Nice uh, FireWire to Thunderbolt adapter cable. But now we have USB-C, so who knows if that will still be the case. But I have lots of Macs with FireWire and Thunderbolt cables uh, connections in them, so I'm not so worried about that. Plus, the, the gear is pretty cheap. It's in the $200, $250 range. And this thing can do a ton of things. It's got built-in preamps for a couple of microphones. It's got uh, line inputs. It's also got a whole bunch of line outputs, which is important if you're recording multiple people who are in studio and remote. I'm at the point now where I'm no – 
It's a big change. I'm no longer recommending uh, unless you've got a whole lot of uh, of in-studio microphones. I'm no longer recommending uh, that people start out with the Mackionix mixers. Let me be clear. Those are great mixers. If you've already got one, that you'd have done nothing wrong. They're fantastic mixers. And I actually believe if you're starting out and you're learning, being able to, to put your hands on the, the faders is super important. Being able to see how everything is connected up with the wires that are right there, uh, super important. But I'm starting to lean toward a little bit more of the software-controlled devices like, like, the, uh, like the Sapphire. It, it's, it's a really nice way to control, to have that control panel right there on the screen in front of you and have the device on the other side of the room. That was a big and important thing for us. But I want to explain and lead into this whole mix minus discussion because this is something that people really need to understand and they ask this question in lots of different ways. And the question is, how do I record remote guests without having to use Skype call recorder, without having to use a Skype conference call. Uh, the quality is never good and I can't, I can't edit each individual track. If you've listened to any show that we ever have done on 5x5 with very, very few individual exceptions, every single person that's on the show, whether they're here in our studio or whether they're remote, they're recorded on separate tracks. This is super, super important if you want high quality and, and Again, maybe the, the, the biggest compliment that I can get is, wow, all the shows on 5x5 sound great, or I didn't know you guys weren't in the same room. These are huge, huge compliments. Most, the, the way that most uh, folks get this kind of quality is by doing something called a double ender, wonderful old-fashioned term there, which basically means each person records their own end. So let's say you're doing a podcast with you and three other people. You would hit record on your end. And you would get all the other people on Skype and they would hit record on their end and record their own side of the conversation. They might record yours too, but really they just want to record theirs. You can do this with pretty much any software, the most basic software. If you're on a Mac like QuickTime that's built into your Mac OS, you can record your, your microphone input with that. You don't need any special software to do this. And you, when, when you're done, each person will then send you their recording. This is perfectly fine and it's a great budget way to do it. It's a little bit more work for each person because they need to then compress their file and upload it to Dropbox or something or you know use BitTorrent Sync. Then you get the files and you have to assemble them and there's a lot of work to account for audio drift because you know that person's PC is different than the other person's MacBook Pro which is different than your Mac Pro that you're recording on and that little bit of timing means that audio files recorded even at the same exact time will be a little bit out of sync and you'll get them drifting apart you can correct that in your audio editing application whether it's Logic or Pro Tools or whatever you like to use so it, all of these are obstacles that can be relatively easily balanced out but it's you know it's extra work for the individual person who's doing one show a week or something like that, this is not an unreasonable amount of work for you to do. Have everybody record their own end, upload it to you, and you put it together. Not a big deal, and that's absolutely the cheapest way to do it. You're going to ensure fantastic audio quality too uh, because each person is recording right from their own mic to their own computer, high quality, 
it's going to sound really, really good and you're not going to have to deal with Skype disconnects and robot voices and all of that nonsense because each person's recording their own end. couple tips with this. The first tip is you as the host, when you get all these people on Skype, record the whole thing from Skype as well because then you'll have the waveforms. You'll be able to line up their waveforms to uh, that they send you, their files that they send you to that original waveform, and that'll help you account for things like audio drift. That's super important. You can then mute or throw away that original Skype track uh, when things uh, when you when you you finally bounce the file. You don't need it anymore. It's just there as a guide for you to line up the audio and keep things uh, synced up. So that's the first thing that the first bit of advice. The second bit of advice is. You know, it's it's going to take people time to get those files together, to upload them, to put them in a place. Don't lose your momentum there. So many times I've heard people come to me and say, well, I've got five episodes recorded. I just, oh, I just don't want to edit them. I don't want to put all these different things together. Just don't, don't let yourself fall into that rut. I know it's extra work to do it, but it, the end result is, is just going to be great. Keep in mind, you know, keep your eye on the prize, as they say, and, uh, and don't lose track of uh, of how many episodes you know you've you've done people so often get into that I like the recording I don't like the editing part a lot of the time the reason they don't like the editing is because there's so much work going into it to assemble these different tracks to edit out silences to move these little tiny pieces around I I I totally get that and in the last episode I think or the one before I was talking about the two different styles of podcasts that you see out there something that's essentially kind of you know the what we would call live to tape radio style broadcast versus the assembled created thing. If you're going for the assembled created thing and you're in there and you're saying, oh, he said, ah, uh, and um, and he sneezed here. And uh, there was a little, you know, they bumped the microphone a little bit. We better edit that out. And, you know, if you're doing that kind of meticulous editing, by the way, I commend you. But if you're doing that, yes, you will spend hours and hours and hours editing something. And if people are giving you multiple tracks, yes, you will spend a long, long, long time editing for the shows that we do and the volume of shows that we do though, uh, it makes more sense for me and for us to, uh, to, to have the best possible signal coming in and record that signal and to, in, in return do the least amount of editing and the least amount of pro, pro, uh, post-processing that we have to do. If this sounds appealing to you and you have a few hundred dollars to spend, you can take this approach also. That doesn't mean you won't be editing for content later. But what you will be doing is you'll be in full control of all of the audio first. You'll have all of the audio right there on your computer. And so when you hit stop, you can immediately start editing it. You can immediately jump right in and say, I've got everything I need. Here we go. And you won't spend a lot of time saying, oh, well, you know, uh, Frank's track was a little quieter than Jane's track. And I, I you know, I need no. You, won't, you still might have to do some EQ. You might have to you know, put some final compression over everything. But if you have really, really good signals coming in on individual tracks and they're already there and saved on your computer, you will save a whole lot of time. And uh, this brings us to the whole topic of mix minus and what that is and how we record separate people. I've talked about this a little bit, but I keep getting questions about it. If, if you've already got a setup like this, It'll be familiar, but listen anyway because you might learn something. I sure had a lot to learn about this setup to get it right. First, let me give you an overview of the setup that we use and that most places use to record multiple people on separate tracks in one place. 
basically uh, you have to have at the center of this some kind of mixer. It can be a uh, a digital mixer like the uh, like the uh, the Sapphire that I've been telling you about. Uh, there and there are lots of others. Uh, I'll put some in, in the notes as well. It can be the Apollo, which is a super high end one of those. You can also do it with a Mackie mixer that I've been recommending for years that are workhorses. But basically what, what is necessary is some kind of mixer that has the uh, what are called auxiliary outputs, AUX, auxiliary outputs. What this allows you to do is let's say you've got two people in the studio. Each of you has your microphone. You're talking into it. It's plugged in. Hopefully you're not sitting too close to each other and not talking too loud so that uh, your audio doesn't wind up in their uh, microphone track on their audio track. That's called audio leakage, lovely term. Instead, you're talking quietly and, you know, your audio is not being picked up by them. They're on the other side of the room. Maybe you even have some audio paneling up on the walls or you hung a blanket on the wall or something. All of those things are good ideas. But then you also want to have two other people who come and join the show. One's in San Francisco and one's in New York and you're in Texas. Well, how are you going to do that? Yes, you could just record the uh, the whole conversation with call recorder. You could have each of those other people record their own end, making for the double ender I described. Or you could do something that's more expensive. You have your mixer there. Now you go and you get two additional computers. They can be very old computers. They could be very, very old computers. The only requirement is that they have an audio input, an audio output, and the ability to run Skype. That's all you need. You can use an old laptop that's been sitting around that the battery uh, you know, died on it and has to be plugged in. You would never take it anywhere and it's too slow to run anything modern. That's fine. It'll probably run Skype. You can go you know, to your parents' uh, attic and pull out their old you know, ancient iMac. If you can get a version of Skype running on it, you, know, you, can, you can make this thing work. They also sell very inexpensive PCs. You can find refurbished PCs and Macs. All it has to do is run Skype. You take this thing and you plug it into your mixer and this is the, the core of Mix Minus and what makes all of this possible. If you have ever listened to, a, you know, there used to be these things called telephones, real old-fashioned telephones that we used to be able to, to talk to people on before we had our smartphones and our cell phones. Well, if you've ever talked on an old-fashioned phone, you hear yourself a little bit while you're talking. If, if you just pick up the phone and, uh, and, and you dial, you press a number so that you get quiet, you don't get the, the dial tone, and you talk, you can hear yourself coming in through the earpiece. There's a technical term for that, which I've forgotten, sorry. But uh, that's the way that those old phones used to work. But that, you're hearing yourself in back there, that was an instantaneous thing. Just like monitoring yourself, I'm wearing headphones right now, I can hear myself, even though there's no other guests in here, I need to monitor to hear how my, uh, my voice sounds. Am I... Uh, too close to the microphone? Am I not close enough to the microphone? I need to monitor that or else it won't be consistent. It won't be good. So when you get into using Skype, you want to be able to send the your two guests, you and your friend who are locally there, them and the person in San Francisco, you need to send them to that person in New York. The same thing goes for the person in New York. You need to take their voice and your two voices in the studio and send it to per the person in San Francisco. Well, the problem, though, with that is you don't want to send the person in San Francisco – you don't want to send their voice back to them. 
again. You don't want to send the person in New York their voice back to them again. So you can't send the full mix, that is everybody, back out. And the way that a standard output from a mixer, whether it's digital or audio, it's it's going to have the full mix going back out. Why don't you want to do that? They will hear themselves back, but unlike hearing themselves on the telephone when they're talking on their own phone, they will hear themselves with a delay. Nothing is more distracting than hearing your own voice on a delay. In fact, Google that, and it's a way to make people sound drunk and be unable to talk is if you play their own voice back to them, like just with a slight delay. Also, Skype compounds this problem because it has a built-in noise-canceling thing that goes on. So when there's a sound, it will sort of cut out. So their own voice can actually interfere with their own ability to hear other people and to be heard. So you need to remove them from this mix. You need to send them a, uh, a minus mix or mix minus their voice, the mix minus their track, back to them. The only thing that can do this is a, uh, is, is a mixer of one kind or another. So you then want to say, all right, person in New York, I'm giving you all of us ex- mi- minus you. Person in San Francisco, I'm giving you all of us minus you. That way everyone can hear everybody else but not themselves bouncing back at them. That is, you need a mixer to do that and you need those remote computers because each one of those computers is going to uh, is going to be responsible for bringing their Skype voice in down into your mixer and into that individual track in your application that you're using to record. So that way you're recording just them alone on their own track. And what's great about that is you can do all kinds of processing on that before, while, they're, while you're recording it and then later. So for example, I have each one of uh, the remote guests come through and they go in right into that Apollo and the Apollo has a ton of built-in things that you can do. Like, for example, the, it, you can put compression on it. You can do a noise gate so that you won't, you know, even though that person is on a Blue Yeti, which is going to pick up their, you know, next door neighbor's dog barking, you can put a noise gate on that while you're recording it so that that dog will, ne- you will never even hear that dog barking or that traffic or whatever it is. Uh, You won't even hear that because it'll fall below that minimum threshold. You can put a noise gate on it. You can even do some inline EQing. You can put compression on that so that if they get too close to their mic because they're excited and they don't have the best mic technique because they only record one podcast a year, that's okay. You won't have to go in later and edit that out or balance that audio. It's going to be done for you. It saves so much time. And if you're doing a lot of podcasts – uh, this is a huge, 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 huge time saver because you can record something and you can hit stop and you can be like, this is 90% of the way done already. I just need to go do that 10%. It's going to make your post, post-recording process go so much more quickly and it's going to save you a ton, a ton, ton of time. Speaking of saving time, I got to tell you about our sponsor. It is Linda. Linda's great. L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com. They have over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, your technology skills, your people build new creative skills. They're going to give you, uh, if you use this code, a free 10-day trial. And the way that Lynda works is you, you pay for Lynda and then you get access to all of their video courses, all of them. It's not like, oh, I, I think I want to learn how to, uh, how to edit in Logic or I want to u- learn how to use Adobe Premiere or there's this thing I need to learn about Google Spreadsheets. 
No, you don't have to buy them one-off. You get access to everything. You can watch the videos as often as you like. You can pause and resume. You can download them to your iOS or Android devices. You can watch them on your computer. I mean, everything is in there. And uh, you get to watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about teaching. Like, you want to learn getting things done? They've got a course on it. Guess who teaches it? David Allen. Like that. Like that's huge. Go there and check it out. It's spelled L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com. And the URL to use to get your free 10-day trial and support this show is Podcast Method. So lynda.com slash podcast method. Just go there. Check it out. Just even visiting that URL helps this show. Signing up helps you and the show. So uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks very much to Linda for making this show possible. All right. So you got your digital mixer. You got your computers plugged into it. You get Skype running on them. You connect them all up. And bingo, you're recording a show, and it sounds really, really great. Cool. Well, let me explain a little bit more about the mix minus thing before I'm done because it is super important. You are going to take the output, the, usually the headphone jack from those computers, and plug it into the line inputs on your mixer. So that means any sound that computer makes, which hopefully is just Skype, is going to go into your mixer, line in, and be recorded. From the mixer out back into those computers, and they're going to have a, an a audio input jack, you're going to use a cable that will take the, uh, the output of your mixer from the mix minus and go into those input jacks of the computer. The important thing is you need to use those auxiliary outs, not the main outs, but like they're called auxiliary outs or just outputs that be, can be custom configured to go in. This is such a complicated thing and it works so much better to show you that I've been working on some videos that will demo this. I'll be demoing it with a Mackie mixer. I'll be demoing it with the Apollo. I'll be demoing it with the Sapphire, uh, but they're not done yet. But just keep on the lookout for those because uh, I've got an intern who's a video editor and she's going to be helping uh, put these things together for you guys. It, it just Google Mix Minus and I'll put some links in the show notes again at 5by5.tv slash podcast method slash eight. I'll put those links in there for you and, uh, and you can see some, some examples of this. This sounds like a big elaborate setup and it is if all you're doing is recording one show a week with a couple of guests here and there. You don't need all this. Don't do all this. It's so complicated. It's too complicated and it costs too much money. But if you're doing three shows a week, if you're doing five shows a week, maybe it's time to consider doing something, you know, a little bit uh, more elaborate to make your life a whole heck of a lot easier. Uh, so that that was kind of the big tech topic for today. Uh, before I jump in and answer a few questions, I want to talk about one more thing that's been on my mind a lot, and that is uh, the irrelevance uh, and importance or lack thereof of uh, podcast networks. What? Don't you have a podcast network, Dan? Don't you do one? Haven't you been doing one for a long time? Yes, and, uh, and, and I think there are some tremendous benefits to a podcast network, but I also think that there uh, are, are many situations where you don't need a podcast network. Uh, and let me address those and talk about them. And the reason that, uh, that I'm, I bring this up is because, yeah, I do have one and I think about it all the time as shows uh, come and go from, from 5 by 5 as well as uh, other podcast networks, uh, you know, shows join and then leave. And uh, the funny thing is people always attach so much drama, I think, to to all of this. They kind of almost want there to be drama. But, you know, sometimes uh, people just make changes for business reasons or because they're bored and they want to stir things up. 
Uh, and you know what? Sure, I'm sure there, there can be drama too and there can be financial reasons involved and things like that. But the way that I think of 5x5 five five and the way that I think of podcast networks in general are – and I've said this before. I feel like they're more like record labels. An artist – let's say there's a brand new artist who's like singing at a, you know, at a bar somewhere at 2 a.m. But there just happens to be like that, uh, that producer sitting in the audience that works at a record label and they're like, wow, you know – that this band is amazing or this person can really sing and they go and they sign them to the label. Now that person has been discovered, right? And they say, you know what? We're going to give you five million bucks. You're going to do three albums here. We're going to promote it. We're going to get your tour all set up. We're going to do all that stuff for you. And they're like, wow, awesome. I'm in. They do the three albums. Now they're a star, right? They're a big star. They got discovered and they're out there in the world and they've, 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 they've got their own sort of following. And now they say, you know what? I, I'm I'm gonna looking for a new contract, you know, and maybe the the current place says, you know what, you're out of our league now. You're too big for us. We can't we can't afford to keep you, and we can't give you the promotion that you need. You've outgrown us, right? That might happen, or the, maybe the record label has grown, and they say, you know what, we want you to stay here. Let let's let's keep going with this. Maybe the 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 artist, the singer, says, you know what, my friend has their own record label over here. I'm gonna go work with them. I'm friends with them. I'm going to go over. I met them, you know, at a tour last year. I'm going to go be on their record label. Or maybe they say, screw it. I'm making my, I'm going to go Beastie Boys, right? I'm going to do the Radiohead thing. I'm going to release my own. I'm going to make my own label. I don't need your label. I just need a distributor. Maybe I don't even need a distributor because it's a podcast, right? And all of these things happen. People are, are always, how long have you worked at a company? What's the longest that you've worked at one company? Most of you, I think, are probably like me. A few years, a number of years, you're not necessarily going to stay at the same company forever. You want to try something new. Maybe you want to go and do your own business. Maybe you want to partner with somebody else. Maybe you just want to jumpstart something or freshen something up, try something new, experiment. Very few people are earning a living from podcasting right now. I think that's changing. It's changing slowly. But right now, very few podcasts make enough money, just like apps in the app store, right? Very few apps in the app store make people enough money that they can just make that app full time. That's fine. Very few podcasts make people enough money that they can podcast full time. Many podcasts don't make any money at all or a very little bit of money. So it's like, oh, we get an extra few dinners out a week or I'm saving for my kid's college. These are all perfectly valid uh, things to, to, to be doing a podcast for. Maybe you're not doing it for any money at all. Well, the fact is, uh, people come and go from podcast networks the same way that they come and go from jobs, the same way that they come and go from uh, from record labels, and all of it is perfectly okay. And generally, uh, people need to do what they feel is in the best interest for themselves and for the show and to feel inspired and to get their creative juices going and if they want to make money, to make more money. I think it's a common scenario for a show to start out where you have either a show that's got you know, a, a modest following or someone with a new show idea and they see 5x5, five five, for example, or they see Relay or they see, you know, Maximum Fun and they say, I want to do a show and I want to I do it here. There is a tremendous amount of effort that goes into making a show like even the most basic show to, to, to putting that show out there, uh, getting it edited, setting a time to record making sure that their show artwork, putting it into iTunes, testing out the feeds, trying them in different clients, 
making sure that the person has the right setup, the right microphone, lining up sponsors, selling the show when the show has relatively few downloads or no downloads, trying to get the sponsors for that and build all of this tremendous amount of work onboarding a show is, is a big process. It's the same thing as launching a new show. There's a lot of stuff that you have to do for it. Now, I don't want to make it sound like it's some impossible feat that no one can do. I'm just saying it's not press one button, new show shows up. There's work. Well, there's work in everything and it's worth it because taking a new show and bringing them up to speed and getting them out there is is so much fun. And if we can help someone do that in some way, uh, I'm, I'm totally into it. I totally want to do it. But uh, a show like that then begins to flourish. It begins to grow, hopefully. But sometimes it doesn't. And you're like, oh man, we started this new show and it's not doing that well. Or we had a show, it was doing well, and now it's down by like half its listeners and it's on the decline. How can we help it? So then you want to try and help it. Well, a lot of the time, uh, you know, like I remember back uh, in the day whenever I would, uh, there were a number of podcast networks and, and shows that were out there and then they would get canceled or they would get shut down. And I was always like, wow, why are they doing that? So, you know, the people doing the show are, are, are you know, why, why are they being such jerks? This is a show I really liked. Or if it was on a network, I'd be like, man, the people running the network must be terrible people. Why would they cancel my favorite show? Well, there are usually reasons. And, and sometimes the reasons are financial. Sometimes the reasons are, are time. Sometimes the, the reason is simply the people want to go somewhere else and try something new. Today in 2015, I feel like the advantages of a podcast network in general are you, you get help answering all of these questions. You get help uh, learning the ropes. What's involved in doing a, a show? What's involved in publishing it? What's involved in getting it out there in iTunes? Is there, are there any benefits from cross-promotion? Uh, are, are we doing enough cross-promotion? You know, how do you build up a following? What are the, the, the techniques that you need to – uh, to make a show successful, the podcast network gives you a, a bit of a cushion and an experiment, uh, a place to experiment to do that. And maybe there are other benefits too. Maybe you get to to meet and work with other people that you like. You get to, you know, have uh, one of the things I'm doing with Dan Benjamin Hour is getting hosts from all the other shows on there so that we can talk about this, talk about podcasting, talk about their show, the news, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, it's, it's good for promotion, but it also makes for a really fun show. So all of these things kind of come together at a podcast network. And also there's the whole thing of advertising. Uh, the trick and the trouble with advertising is most of the sponsors, the bigger sponsors, the ones that are, that are really out there sponsoring shows, they're booking way in advance for their, uh, for their, for their sponsorship. So like right now, uh, our sponsors are looking at Q2 and Q3. You know, that three, even Q4 now. So if we were to bring on a new show now, we might not get any sponsors for them for another few months just because our sponsors are like, nope, the books are closed. We, we've, we've spent what we're going to spend now. Uh, we might be able to squeeze a little bit extra in there. Uh, and also, you know, a lot of the time a show comes on board and they're getting a couple thousand downloads a week. Well, that's great. Right, but then they join the network, and maybe there's a buzz that starts. Now they're doing five thousand downloads a week, ten thousand downloads a week, if they're if they're good or more, and uh, and and their shows momentum is building. Well, guess what? We need to be able to show that track record of downloads for a long period of time before the sponsors will buy into that and say, "Oh, yeah, that's a ten thousand download show. We'll we'll pay for that." And uh, so there's so many. All I'm doing is trying to illuminate some of those details of 
what running a, a network uh, like that is like from from my standpoint and trying to make what are a lot of the time really hard decisions about, wow, that show looks really great. And I would love to bring it in on five by five, but I don't know yet. Uh, or yeah, let's go get that show. Oh, you know what? They, they probably don't even need a podcast network. And I've seen that happen a lot. I mean, we have shows right now on five by five that don't really need to be on five by five. They're, they're kind of outgrowing us and that's perfectly okay. Uh, I'm just happy to have uh, the opportunity to work with podcasters and help in any way that I can. I have learned so much and made so many mistakes uh, over the last few years as I try to find my way through this and, and figure out the, the best way to do things. And I'm still learning every day. And that kind of brings me back to the beginning of the show in that, you know, there there's so much to learn about this new industry. And yeah, we can draw from what we know about other industries, whether it's software development or radio or TV. Uh, but, you know, what it comes down to at the end of the day is, is I think, trying to make the, the best platform we can uh, to, to get our creativity out there, to put our energy out there in the most fun and positive way that we can and, and make really cool stuff. So uh, I think that's it for, for this week. I do want to hit a couple of really quick questions from people on Twitter if I can. Uh, one thing that was interesting that came in is from uh, someone named Five Sticker Rides. And uh, he or, or she, I don't know, says, I have a good mixer and mics, uh, but are there, is there anyone recording straight to SoundCloud? And I said, oh, w w what are you doing? You don't have a mixer. You don't have, you know, how, how are you do with, with just a basic mixer? What are you doing? Well, they're on a Chromebook and they're doing almost zero post-production. The input is good quality, but like, can you record to SoundCloud? Well, there are a handful of solutions out there that are essentially web applications that you can connect like a USB device to your computer and hit record and it will, uh, it, it will be recorded remotely essentially. I don't know very much about these. I don't have any links in the show notes for them. I've never done it this way uh, and I think it would be pretty cool. So if this is something that, uh, that you guys are, uh, are doing, uh, by all means, tell me how you're doing it. Uh, tell me what your, uh, what your, what, what your process is because I think this is fascinating. The idea of being able to go out and use, you know, an iOS device, an Android tablet, a Chromebook, not have to have any software and just record something, publish it. I'm, I'm interested in learning about that. So tell me, tell me what you're doing. A question uh, re right before I started the show from Mike Stanley, uh, and I've been asked this question before, uh, portable recorder and mic recommendations for conference interviews where there is lots of background noise. Uh, the, uh, my, my go-to whenever it comes to uh, to any kind of like I'm out in the world uh, and I'm recording something, the the Zoom H well, – I've been told that the Zoom uh, 5, the new 5 is better than the H4n. But I have and have used the Zoom H4n. If you can find the newer model, by all means, get, get the newer model. Uh, but this thing is a little handheld device. It looks like a taser. And I'll put this in the show notes. It looks like a taser and it has two microphones up on top and you can also plug two microphones into the bottom of it through an XLR or even a line in cable. 
I recommend for noisy environments, get the Shure SM58 microphone. It's the microphone you see on stage at like every concert and every assembly in school. And it's the sort of standard microphone. Uh, and plug that into the bottom. Those microphones are very good about canceling out background noise. So you you take this microphone, you plug it into your Zoom, uh, and you hit record, and you hold the microphone to your face while you talk to someone, and you either hand them that microphone or you get a second microphone that they hold and point at their face and talk into it. That's going to go a, a, a great distance in getting a relatively, uh, I guess, as quiet as you could hope for. It's way better than just pointing the Zoom with its built-in mics at somebody. Uh, that will still – that's pretty good, but it will still pick up a lot of background noise. So if you want to try and get that quiet, uh, you know, single-person voice in a, in a loud environment, do that. But you're going to get noise. Just be aware that you're going to get a lot of crowd noise. Here's a neat trick that uh, that you can do that they do all the time in TV and radio production uh, that can help minimize that. And here's what you do. You go into your setting where you're in the loud conference and before you interview anybody, uh, wherever it is that you're interviewing them, you just stand there like a, like a dork with the microphone kind of up in front of you and you hit record and you record that sound of that loud room. Do it for two minutes. Do it for five minutes if you – you don't get too tired of holding the mic out like that. And then you've got this wonderful background track. What that means is you can, uh, you can take this and lay it underneath as, a, as sort of a sound bed so that when you're later going back and asking questions or if you have to do an edit or, if, for example, if your own questions were unintelligible or if you wanted to give the microphone to the person you're interviewing and you just wanted to talk to them without holding the microphone so that they could be more comfortable and there would be less passing it back and forth, less editing later, you can ask your questions and then later on you can sit down in front of your nice microphone and ask the questions while having that background track going underneath. It makes it sound very seamless, more post-production but Pretty much any time you hear an interview on NPR, like that's what they're doing. So that can be a, a pretty neat tip. And anyway, there's some gear recommendations uh, for you there. Going back into uh, sort of the archives because the last time that I was uh, that I was doing the show was a few weeks ago. Uh, I wanted to uh, to still try and get back to at least some of those uh, those questions. One of them. Uh, Tim, I believe his last name is Bornholt. Tim Bornholt says, what advice do you have for shows that have been approached by a podcast network to join? Uh, well, going back, I would, uh, I would look and say, do, do you need a podcast network? And here's some ways to answer that. Are you, uh, do you have a big show with tens of thousands of downloads? Are you uh, selling ads or do you like to sell ads yourself? Um, if, uh, do, do you rank highly in iTunes or the other podcast apps that you use? If your answer to, the que to those questions was overwhelmingly like, yeah, we've got all that and we're doing all that, then really a podcast network uh, might not have that much to offer you. Uh, you can be independent pretty, pretty easily. But if those things are pain points for you, if editing the show or posting the show or hosting the show or selling ads are pain points for you, then by all means, consider joining a podcast network. Now, if you said no to most of those questions or some of them, uh, it's not that big of a show and you don't have ads and you don't like editing, then by all means, consider joining a podcast network. Make sure that if you bring your show to a podcast network, that it's very clear in writing that you own the show, 
You may not own the artwork. For example, um, shows that join 5 by 5 if they are their own thing first or if they are started as their own show, they're free to go. We have a contract that says this is your show. You own it. When, when you want to leave, you can leave. You can stay as long as you want. And to leave, look, here's the process for leaving and here's how long we need to know before you leave. All of these are, are details that you, you got to put in writing and get in writing so that when the time comes for them to leave – uh, you know, if, if that podcast network is selling ads for you and you decide to pick up and go and they've already booked stuff out for you, I mean, that can be bad. Uh, so even if you're parting on like really good terms and your friends starting out and everything else, like just get it all in writing. Uh, but that's how I would evaluate it. If, if you're, you know, if you're a big show, I'm really starting to be a fan, I should add, of distribution, the concept of, of a podcast network, not necessarily um, – creating and and owning a show as much as doing distribution for a show that already exists as a way for it to potentially find new listeners as a way for a show that already exists to get in more places look it happens all the time uh on on radio you'll get a host that's doing a show and they start picking up affiliates oh we get a we get a a chicago affiliate that wants to run the show oh, we get a new york affiliate that wants to run the show now we get a kansas city affiliate that wants to run the show you're still doing the same show. You're just making more money because it's out in more places and more people can hear it. I love that idea, and I think that's key to understanding, I think, where the future of podcasting is potentially going to go. All right, I can do one more question from Justin Seeley. How difficult is it to get a provider page on iTunes? I sent an email per instructions, no reply. Well, I will tell you, that uh, I don't I don't know. When Five by Five got its provider page, we were approached by the folks at iTunes. But this was back in two thousand nine. What I can tell you is that the people at iTunes are incredibly smart, very caring, very considerate people who are incredibly overworked. Um, they're some of the nicest people that I've ever met and worked with anywhere, not just uh, within Apple. Uh, these are people who have a passion for podcasts, a passion for uh, being in this creative space and who are doing, uh, I think, a whole lot of work. And I don't know, but I don't think Apple makes much money from their podcast section. I mean, that whole concept to me is like, you know, yeah, they're making 30% from apps and in-app purchases and all of that. I don't, you know, I don't know where the money comes from if it comes from anywhere from iTunes. And uh, from the point that I'm making is these people are doing it because they love it. They're doing it because they think podcasting is really awesome. So getting you that provider page is something that I would think they want to do. They want your shows to succeed. They want to identify new talent. They want to to do it. So I can't answer as to, to why they didn't reply to you other than maybe they're just super overworked. Um, maybe it's just because there are human beings that do everything there and none of it is like robots. Like these are people who are, who are trying to find really awesome content. I was approached to make that provider page years and years and years ago when we were one of the very few providers out there. Uh, so unfortunately, I don't have like a, well, here's a secret way that you can get your thing. I really don't know. But for me, it, it wasn't difficult at all. Uh, for other people, I know that even some of the, the newer uh, shows that, that have come out, uh, the newer networks that have come out, um, have those provider pages uh, I know that uh, like Relay, Mike uh, Hurley's Relay has one and seemed to have one right away. So I don't know. Uh, I, I can definitely uh, ask the next time that I have a, a, a talk with those folks. 
uh, and I will ask and I will say, what's the best way to do it and any tips and tricks? Here are the tips and tricks I know that are applicable for all shows going on to iTunes anywhere and how to get noticed. Number one, number one, number one, have really great artwork. That is the number one way that you will get uh, noticed by the iTunes people in one way or another. Have amazing artwork. High resolution, large file size, large size artwork. Hire someone to do it if you're not a designer. Pay money because it will be worth it. It will get you noticed by listeners. It will get you noticed by Apple and iTunes. That's like the biggest tip. The second is having a consistent release schedule. And uh, and the third is uh, having a, a title and then episode descriptions that make a lot of sense for uh, – for the show that you're doing. Uh, it's, it's super important uh, for you to have that kind, of, uh, that kind of history for a show. iTunes won't promote a show that's got two episodes and then nothing. Um, they just won't. But if you have that consistent schedule, awesome artwork, good titles, good name of the show, the, those, those are the best, uh, the best advice I have for you. So that's it. Thank you for listening to this episode. I will be back. I am back on track to recording it weekly, so never fear. Uh, if you have questions for me, please ask me. Best place to do it is on Twitter. I am at Dan Benjamin. And when you ask me those questions, be sure to use the hashtag podcast method. If you don't, I'll see it. But when it comes time for me to go in here and record the show, the system that I use won't pull those questions up. So hashtag podcast method. Any question you want for me to, to see on the show. Uh, another way that you can really help this show be successful is rate it in iTunes. And even better, subscribe to it in iTunes. That is the, the Those are the two best ways to help support the show without you having to really do much uh, or spend any money. Of course, if you want to spend some money, thank you. Uh, go to patreon.com slash 5 by 5 and support the show there. It helps me especially when it comes to making those videos that I was describing because that costs us money and it's outside the scope of the show that sponsorships don't pay for. So if you want to see videos like that, like What's Mixed Minus uh, or other ones that you can suggest to me there, patreon.com slash 5 by 5 So that's great. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Thanks for being here. Keep the questions coming and uh, we will see you next week. <laughs>